0: Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Startup your Podcast. I'm Frank Gruber, the co-founder and co-CEO of Established, also the co-founder of Established Ventures and the team behind the Startup Your community and this podcast. On this episode, I'm talking to Dr. Jimena Hartstock, the co-founder of Phone to Action, the world's leading technology company for civic participation and stakeholder engagement. The platform has empowered millions of advocates to make over 40 million connections with elected officials. Wow. That's amazing. She's passionate about uh, education and about empowering people to take action to make the world a better place. Who can argue with that? That's amazing. And she's also a member of the board of directors of Consumer Technology Association, which produces the, I think it's the largest gathering in, in, the, uh, in North America uh, around tech. It's the Consumer Electronics Show, and or CES. And she's also a, been named by Forbes as a list of women crushing it in technology. So as you can see, she's truly amazing, quite, a, quite the innovator and working on changing the world. So when I got to interview her at our summit in the fall of 2020, she was still working on Phone to Action and for eight years now or, or so, and she announced that she had just left uh, Recently, So we caught her before she left, before she left Phone to Action, and we're, that's the interview we're going to play here shortly. We're super excited, though, to hear about her new company and her new pursuits, uh, as she's going to be launching a new technology uh, venture at some point here in, this, in the near future. So look forward to that uh, as she announces those details when they become available. Uh, before we get started with the interview, though, I wanted to jump in and have some, uh, some words of advice from our team. I'd like to hear from Rich Malloy, the VP of Engagement at Estab- Established and part of Established Ventures, who has also got some tips for startup founders in a segment we call the VC Minute.
0: Let's talk about talking about exits. And yes, you heard that right. I've started asking founders, where do you see your company in five years? And the answer I hate to hear is, we'll have an exit by then. Okay, hold on. You and I both know that I have a fiscal responsibility to my investors to return multiples of their capital. And I do this by having liquidity events from my investments. But if you think that telling me you're going to sell the business in five years is what I want to hear, you've got it wrong. And it actually throws up two major red flags. First, entrepreneurship is hard, really, really hard. If you are only in this for the money, then you're not going to have the grit to push through all the unforeseen, gut-wrenching, keep-you-up-at-night problems that will come your way. There are dozens of studies that show that money is not a prime motivator. And if you're only in this for the money, then you don't have enough grit and motivation to get through the hardships. Second, while it's true that I am looking for exits, what I'm actually looking for are return-the-fund exits, and then some. I'm not looking for a few companies to return two to three X. I'm looking for one company to return the whole fund. Here's some quick math. If I have a $20 million fund and I own 2% of your company on a fully diluted basis at exit, that exit needs to be $1 billion to return 20 million. That's the kind of exit I'm looking for. Actually, I'm looking for more than that, but we can geek out on fund economics later. Are you going to get to a billion dollars in five years if getting an exit is your primary motivation? Hell no. You're going to take the first $50 million private equity offer that comes your way because you'll get a few million dollars out of it, which will be amazing for you. And I'll be so incredibly happy for you. I just don't want to invest in that. I want to back founders that want to change the world, not cash their chips in. That's all for the VC Minute. Back to you, Frank.
1: Thanks, Rich. Great tips on talking about exits and a little bit of uh, fund economics as well. Great stuff, as always. Thank you. Many of you know that we have a long tradition of heading down to Austin, Texas in early March for South by Southwest. And I wanted to quickly let you know that We've got something brewing again this year in mid-March. Though we won't be heading down to Austin, it will be online again this year, as the, the festival itself is as well. So if you're inter- interested in learning more, uh, you want to get involved, please visit est.us forward slash sxsw21. Again, it's est.us forward slash xssw21. We've got March 15th and 16th. We've got some events focused on different events. Different, uh, types of innovators, investors, startups should be a lot of fun. So check those out and hopefully you can join us. Aside from our March events, I also wanted to take a moment to invite all of our listeners to get involved in our program uh, by visiting establishedus forward slash programs, uh, establishedus forward slash programs. Uh, if you go there and you sign up, you'll be the first to be notified of our various startup opportunities from across um, the various organizations we work with in a number of diff- different ecosystems around the country. So lots of great stuff happening and love to have you involved in anything that we can do to help, do to help you. So... Oh, and one other thing, actually, if you're on an iOS device right now, and soon I think Android as well, um, we're actually spending a lot of time over on the Clubhouse app. It's the, uh, all the rage these days. The audio-only app that allows you to create interesting uh, conversations and interactions with people, um, and so we've been doing some office hours over there. We've been doing some other spotlights around different communities, and we're going to be doing some things or some rooms around there uh, during South by Southwest festivities. So, uh, be sure to follow me at Frank Gruber, as well as at Jen Consavo and at John Guidos. Uh, We're going to be doing a number of Clubhouse things in the future and uh, hope that you can join us. We'll be putting them in our newsletter as well, so you can subscribe to our newsletter to learn more. EST.US is where you can get there. So now we're going to listen to our conversation with Dr. Ximena Hartstock, who is pretty awesome, and I'm excited that she was able to join us. So let's listen in to our discussion at the Start of the Year Summit in the fall of 2020. Welcome, Ximena. Thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me, and thanks for that introduction. And oh, you definitely. can call me X. You don't have to. Dr. X, Dr. X, that's what we're going to call you <laughs> just now.
1: X, oh, just that's X. That's such a cool, I wish I had that nickname, that's amazing. All <laughs> right, so, Dr. X, um, <laughs> tell us a little bit more about your background. You, you came from a really interesting, uh, you have got a really very interesting background. You were a teacher, a principal, um, you were part of, uh, you used to lead up uh, the Parks and Rec uh, in Washington, D.C. How did that get you into, you know, wanting to then you know, kind of slightly pivot, right, to start a startup with phone to Action?
2: Yeah. So, um, I actually am an immigrant too. I came from Chile and, uh, I, before doing all of those jobs, I actually did other jobs, immigrants too. I, I was a nanny. I was a bartender. I was a, you know, housekeeper. I did all of that. And so I think every job really prepares us, you know, to do whatever we do next. And I think I got from those early on jobs, you know, all of the attention to to detail, to the little things that matter, Uh, you know, maybe a lot of us, you know, sometimes take for granted, but the people do those jobs, you know, they make a big difference. And then later on, working for government, what I learned there is that you can't operate any government um, a strategy without talking to people without engaging with the community when i was a principal uh, we our school when when i went in i had a lot of issues and most of those issues were resolved when we started working with the community the teachers and the parents and our neighbors and later on working in parks you know we we learn a lot that you know every park that you build if you don't ask the neighbors around the community how you're spending that money the timelines and everything, you eventually will uh, pay for that. So uh, I think uh, the best, perhaps, uh, opportunity job-wise was later on after I stopped working for the mayor and working in government, I joined the um, organization, one of the organizations that had done tremendous work here in education reform in the U.S., and I was national director of mobilization and, and outreach. And it was there where I had a really um, eye-opening experience when I learned that people did not necessarily knew how, uh, did not know how uh, to contact their lawmakers. Sometimes they didn't even know who they were. And in talking to parents and teachers across the way, because I used to travel across the country during those years, um, I will ask a parent, did you tell your lawmaker about that issue your child had in school? Uh, or I will ask a lawmaker, have you talked to your parents in the community before voting on this issue? And the answer was no. Um, and so I think it was, uh, it was just, I just was very lucky to have different experiences along the way that helped me to get, you know, kind of prepared for the moment where I thought, hmm, we should have an app for that. And, you know, the app didn't exist and there it was, front 2 action was born.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. That, it's kind of crazy to think that there wasn't really an easy feedback loop for connecting, you know, what you're thinking or seeing with the folks that you elected. That's that's pretty um, seems like a basic thing, but amazing that you guys found that that niche and were able to create it. So take us back to um, maybe how that you know what you know, you met your co-founder, right? So your co-founder, I, I had known for a little while because of uh, back in a, when we were doing Tech Cocktail and Tech Co events back in Chicago. I met him. He was actually part of the uh, one of our events early on. Think in Chicago and Champaign, Illinois, I think, even, and uh, with a, a previous startup called Five Degrees, and he was part of the Smart Start program. So he's actually technically part of our alumni here with Start of the Year. But how did you meet uh, Jeb, your co founder, and how did that turn into, you know, we're now going to create this company?
2: So I had the idea of a to action between 11 and 2011 and 2012. I, like I said, I was traveling across the country. Uh, advocating on education reform issues and talking to parents and teachers on the ground, and uh, I thought this doesn't scale. I can't fly people from Miami to Tallahassee or from uh, you know the uh, parts of 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 uh, Michigan to to Detroit or to or to uh, Lansing where the conversations were. Um, it is kind of funny like most of the capitals in the country are in these all very difficult places to get to. Hard to get to, <laughs> so, right? So <laughs> yeah. um, so I I thought this doesn't scale and at the time I remember that when I was a school principal in DC the first person that bought the iPhone was a substitute teacher that didn't make a lot of money and when uh, people start telling me when I w- I was I would tell people hey you know I, I think we should have an ap- an application to connect people with their lawmakers, something easy on a phone, people will say to me, no, nobody's going to have that because poor people don't have smartphones. The penetration was really low in 2012. Uh, But I remember that substitute teacher. So I thought, you know, maybe today is low. Tomorrow is going to be a very deep penetration. So I'm going to bet on uh, technology that works really well on the phone. And so very quickly from the beginning, I thought this, this application, whatever it is, People need to be able to uh, use it on a computer, on an iPad, or on a phone of any kind. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was like that, that I started really having a closer and closer idea to something I wanted to build. But I didn't want to build it right away as a company. I was building it just to solve my problem in my job. And But I started going to meetups. I started going everywhere. I lived in Sacramento at the time, so I would travel Out to San Francisco and my uh, husband uh, at the time was my boyfriend. He uh, had a lot of uh, friends in technology. I was talking to them and, you know, I I was just talking to a lot of people. And one day I went into a happy hour and I told a friend I was really frustrated. And she said, um, you know, my husband actually works in technology and he happens to be in town today. And, you know, that's how I met Jeff because my friend was his wife. So it was very serendipitous because I had never met him. I didn't know anything about, you know, technology before that. And I had already been talking to a lot of other people. So I was, uh, I was already kind of like on a path to build a company, but making um, a meeting job. And then later Patrick, who actually was a, our technical co-founder, you know, helped us to, to put it all together much quickly, much quickly.
1: That's great. So for those that aren't familiar with Phone to Action, and you've talked a little bit about it, but can you kind of share like the, the simpleton version of how it works and what the product kind of walk us through that, what that user experience might might look like for a use case of, of somebody that we'll want to connect?
2: You may have not heard of Phone to Action, but you certainly have heard of the people that use Phone to Action. So if you were, um, you know, part of the, any, if you heard Ariana Grande or Billie Eilish or Taylor Swift uh, talk about elections. And this uh, is, uh, during the, the election um, to they get they get out of the vote. Uh, you know they were using our technology to encourage people to register to vote and to oh. look up poll, uh, candidates and and polling locations. If you ever uh, seen all the uh, activations of, of jail or Jay-Z or Beyonce or the Grammys around music, around justice reform or anything like that. They also use phone to action to connect people with their lawmakers about right. uh, some of these legislative issues. So it's, it's widely used. There are, um, you know, near a 1,000 uh, organizations in the US that use it. Many, many celebrities, uh, in Europe, California, Australia, and Canada also use phone to action As In a very easy way, you can click on a link and then you're matched with your lawmaker and you can send them an email or make a phone call or send them a tweet Um, and and, and connect with them and tell them, you know, you are my representative. I elected you uh, to fight for issues that I care about. This is how I feel about this policy. So during COVID, it was very, very highly used by, you know, millions of people to... To activate another in the election, about ten million people use phone to action to uh, register to vote and related activities. Wow, ten million! Ten million!
1: Wow, that's amazing! And you know, this year in general has just been—it's like one thing after another. And, and there's a lot of—I'm um, I'm assuming there's a lot of grassroots uh, movements that are happening because of it, right? So you've got things like um, you know the, the civil unrest that, that we saw earlier this year, the pandemic, the election, so. Um, you guys put out a report about advocacy, and I wanted to talk about it. It's called the State of Advocacy. And uh, can you share a little bit more about um, what you found in that report or what you re- you know covered in that report?
2: Yes, a State of Advocacy was a data-driven um, report, uh, you know, purely quantitative that analyzed the way that people were using uh, our technology this year compared to the year prior, the years prior. Um, And what we saw, uh, it was a tremendous um, increase in activations, especially between March 13, which was the declaration of emergency of COVID and the late of late May. What we saw is that uh, people will uh, participate, you know, several times more, but also people will share whatever they were taking action on, on social media. So we saw a 7,000% increase in people coming uh, into Front to Action tools, you know, and Front to Action tools are available in through the UNICEF, through Habitat for Humanity, through Paragonia, through all of these organizations that use Front to Action, um, and they will come in and take action about COVID relief or a frontliner support, et cetera. And so what we saw, there are several things that are interesting, one, one of them is women activated in 140, it was a 140% increase of women taking action. It was over 110% increase for males. So both men and women took took more action than before, but women really went uh, above and beyond. We also saw all of the groups from very young people to people over 80 taking action. In fact, there are uh, campaigns on Twitter where we saw 10% of Twitter uh, of tweets where by new advocates over 65 years of age, uh, Gen Xers came out dramatically to take action. And we believe in a lot of cases, for example, the Professional Beauty Association, that is the association that represents the beauty salons, uh, barbershops, et etc. They, they told that they believe it's because most of the owners of these salons are Gen Xers. Uh, mm-hmm. But we saw that across the board uh, but what's very interesting, you know, March 13th was the declaration of emergency. March 21st was a Saturday. We saw it was just hundreds of thousands of people taking action in hours that week. Millions oh. of people took action on COVID relief. COVID relief, the first one passed on March 26th. And we saw the activity keep going, 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 going. And then on March 25th, on May 25th, was George Floyd's uh, killing. And right. then that weekend the weekend after uh george floyd we saw our election tools uh, skyrocketing so um what what COVID did is get people really really uh motivated to take action around advocacy and then the civil unrest around george floyd uh what it did it was uh motivate people to get out and vote
1: wow that's really interesting i mean what a a unique year for you guys to be able to track all this data and i mean 4 400% increase in women 140% in, in men is still any year's phenomenal but that's just off the charts this year and and obviously it's probably it was really interesting for you to see all these different things and we're not done with 2020 yet so hopefully <laughs> That's right.
2: That's <laughs> yeah, hopefully
1: um yeah you can keep tracking but hopefully there's nothing major like that as it continues here. So let's talk about is this a US movement or do you guys see this as both US and just a global rise in advocacy everywhere?
2: It's global. Um, that is, uh, yeah, since uh, October in 2019, w- you know, we are seeing a revolution across the globe of people um, really taking on their causes very personally and coming, if it's not to the streets, on social media, and if it's not in either one of those, at home, uh, really thinking and talking to the family members about... Are the issues they care about, public policy has become mainstream, okay. you know, terms like trade and NAFTA and NATO and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of this now are uh, conversations that you have in in, in a cocktail party and uh, like uh, people, people of all backgrounds are familiar with this Types of conversations and and it is because one of information access, but also because of technology. Mm-hmm. And for you, the work that you've been doing, Frank, and the rest of you know all the listeners, we people in technology have played a critical role uh, during uh, the past years, and and you can see it especially in the U.S. this year. But across the globe, in 2019, there were several countries engaging in there had civil unrest. And all of them were using ninety percent of the time the organizing was done through Messenger apps. And the rest of the time it was a combination of social media and something else. Right. So yep. apps like WhatsApp, Telegram Signal, and here in the US Signal especially have been dramatically used. So yes, it is a worldwide effort.
1: Interesting. I mean it's really interesting. And obviously, you saw that even in the election here with crazy turnout, right? For for the election this year. Um, the numbers of both candidates getting more votes than ever before. I mean, yes. as the most um, voted up. 141 uh,
2: million counting um, voted this election more than ever before, and 100, and 100 million voted yearly. And in a big part, because of the vote yearly and vote yearly day movement, that it was a digital movement where for four months people were. Uh, encouraging others to mail. And if you look at Ariana Grandes and a lot of the the organizations like Headcount, what they what they pushed, it was for people to tell three more people to vote. It was the tripling uh, campaign. and all of that worked. But most of that was uh, digital. And this is where it, it's, it's, we should, you know, technology, people in technology, very proud of the role that we that we played in in that because especially during a pandemic. Uh, the numbers are right. incredibly um, impressive
1: definitely and that whole early voting thing i mean i don't think people i didn't realize even that you could do that early voting thing until this year right this is the first year and i think it was that education and everyone kind of got that education and now it's actually the election day is the final day that you can vote yes unless, or, or even maybe you mail in your vote i guess you could say and and we were learning now that the county can go on for a long time as well so it's it's a process it's not just a uh, one election day and i think that's interesting that it um It took foot with, um, you know, things like phone to action, sharing that message and and getting it out there. I definitely, you know, tuned into a lot of different, um, musical, uh, events that were powered by headcount or some of these other groups that you mentioned really great. Okay. So let's move along here. So, um, can you, maybe let's, let's, let's actually rewind a little bit, go back to your startup journey and talk a little bit more about, um, what happened. You started this company in 2012. Um, I want to hear how you, you guys connected and then got this, comp, you know, this, um, get this product off the ground. And then you, you found your first customer. And, and you know, I don't actually know if you raised funding or what, how that all went. So can you share a little bit more about the background there?
2: Yeah, so I was working at the time for this organization. Jeb was working, like you said, at Five Degrees in Chicago. And Patrick, our technical co-founder, was in Kansas City. Um, he was 19 years old at the time. And so, um, yeah, we we're all we're, we're like, it's, it's only it's eight years ago. So it's, 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 right. it's interesting how time flies. But so we, um, so, you know, I had the idea. It was a very much um, hands on sort of perspective what I had. Uh, but because of the jobs that I had before, I had a lot of experience with logistics and I had, you know, been in construction. That makes you think a lot about the processes that go into building something. And so, um, you know, the first thing that we thought is that we have to move to an area where the customers are. So everybody moved to D.C. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually got a space. We rented a space first at 1776 and then we rented a space at WeWork uh, because we didn't really have, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, we, we were just starting for the first eight months, we didn't uh, draw any salaries. And, you know, the first prototype that we built, uh, we built it in, in the beginning of 2013. The, something, you know, more serious and better, the platform was in 2014 when we launched font to Action, uh, 1.0. Uh, but all 2000, 2013, we sold the prototype as it was without a back end, and Consumer Technology Association signed a contract with that with us with that because they wanted to give us the opportunity because they knew I was an immigrant and yes. so I am going to be uh, forever grateful of uh, of them because of giving us that opportunity um, and then uh, later on um, also you know uh, Kansas City gave us a, a little a small $24,000 uh, check to you know kind of do something with that for the prototype or whatever. And with that money, um, you know, we we did all the operational portion of domain, uh, not the first domain, because the first domain I bought it from a bar <laughs> at $9. Uh, but, you know, yes. all of the other stuff that you need, softwares and whatever. Um, and then in 2014, uh, we got some uh, seed funding from uh, Dundee in Omaha, nebraska mm. it was a uh, six hundred thousand dollars that that money was incredibly helpful and beth especially you know mark they were these people were good people they believed in us when really this this industry was just a starting because it was nothing like us anywhere uh yeah. now you today you see other companies like quote on fiscal note etc but at the time it was just us and, um, and so they trusted us. And then in 2016, we closed a uh, mil, $5.1 million uh, Series A round with uh, different different partners. And, um, you know, you have the typical, you know, we had the Pennsylvania Fox, Osage, um, and, you know, Dundee run. But I did a pitch at a, a, a conference in, um, just like this one, at Stanford Um and uh, it was a Latino conference actually, and one of the attendees um, stayed in touch with me, and he gave us a check too. So nice. that is, is, it was a combination for the series A. And then last year in 2019, we closed a, a growth round with a private equity firm called uh, Frontier, which is in North Carolina, and that round bought the stock and of the employees and their, their equity and, uh, you know, acquire the stock of, the, of all of the investors and, you know, reward them. Oh, nice!
1: You got you guys had a nice exit. I mean, I didn't hear about that. That's very congratulations. It's amazing.
2: We kept twenty percent of our stock in the company, uh, just Jeb and I. Uh, but the rest of the of the the, the stock was purchased here. Yeah. And now we, with them, you know, we're still with them. Um, with you know, still working in in the company. And and uh, now we just acquired another company called. GovPredict and, you know, the acquisitions continue as part of building, you know, an ecosystem for this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Let's talk about that. So that was a YC-backed company, uh, GovPredict, and it was just like a week or so ago uh, or a little bit longer. Um, Can you share a little more about that acquisition kind of strategy of what you're looking to do with other startups?
2: Yeah, so um, one of the differences between getting acquired by, you know, anybody or getting acquired by a private equity growth uh, fund is that in the latter, you as a founder um, have the opportunity to one, remain with the, the company, which sometimes you can do too with, with other acquisitions. But the, the idea of those types of uh, transactions is for the current company to continue growing and mm-hmm. to build a improve the company, grow it, scale it, expand it, sometimes abroad or in tools. And that expansion can look different in different ways. So it can look like investments in building more tools or partnerships uh, which can be acquisitions with technologies that are compatible that expand the capabilities of the original purchase. So in this case to Action is a civic engagement technology. Uh, for people to connect with their officials, and we have some tools for government affairs officials. But GovPredict has very uh, has focused on government affairs tools. So if you are a head of a campaign or a head of government affairs at an association, you're more likely to use. So you got predict tools first because they will tell you information about the lawmakers, about bill tracking, about stakeholder engagement, uh, all of all, everything related to the lawmaker. One for interaction will give you tools for you to mobilize people to talk to these lawmakers. So when you pair the two, you really have something very powerful because you have the opportunity to engage people to connect with the lawmakers and create movements, and then you can see how the lawmakers are voting perhaps influenced by these uh, constituents. And, you know, now our clients have access to both, the intelligence about bill tracking and the information on the lawmakers, and at the same time, the ability to mobilize people to influence these lawmakers. Makes sense
1: sounds like it was the right fit too i mean a lot of times we talk about when you raise um funding or, or looking at like they were basically buying out the the current investors and keeping guys on board seems like it was a good fit for you guys to be able to grow with the trajectory i mean the, the opposite of that would have been just to kind of rate continue to be on that treadmill of raising more raising more raising more um you know to uh, from it from the more standard um venture funds so um Did you find that how did that how did that all come together? I mean, was it you were looking for PE or was it something that just kind of happened? So
2: you know, it's interesting that actually these are very good questions, Frank, because most times people don't ask you this. And so this is how when you are an entrepreneur, at least in my experience, I I didn't know a lot of this and you kind of discover and neither have, like we kind of discover all of these opportunities along the way. Private equity has a little bit of a bad reputation. Right. Um, and you know, you see a lot of private equity firms now kind of pivoting into uh, we call growth funds because they want to um, uh, you know make people not to notice that they are not buying just to buy, but they're actually buying because they believe in the product and they want to grow it. So in the case of uh, this uh, private equity firm in North Carolina, that's what they are, their growth, Fund And so with that, they, they they buy the stock. They buy, you know, in the case of ours, it was 80% of mine, 80% of Jeb's. And then they um, assign, you know, they give you other resources. So coaches and, and people that support, you know, your leader, your management team with more mm-hmm. experience. So almost every single manager at Front to Action has a coach that came from this growth fund, And you know they they, they don't stay too much in their way, but they, they kind of generally guide you. And you as a funder, you can decide after, you know, with conversations with them, how long do you want to stay in that situation? Well, in an acquisition, it's a little bit more cut and roll, you know, right. uh, you you can leave tomorrow or we'll do a transition and we'll live through months for months in a growth fund is more of a, of a conversation uh because you know it is it is it is a the idea is to keep growing the company and to be something bigger so we were always were i mean especially probably me because i'm a woman i'm a woman of color as you can see i have an accent all of that stuff and this was my baby it was my idea i to you want to give it you want to put it in the hands of the right people uh, yeah, we all want to exit, and the venture capitalists want to exit. You know, that's kind of like you have a startup exit,ing is glorified. So, we, you know, those all of those sentiments and emotions, we were feeling those too. Right. But the but the uh, discovery of which way to go, it was, you know, being more educated um, along the way. When when we start getting traction, you know, we start getting a lot of um, um, people will email us or through LinkedIn with interest about the company and that's how you start kind of getting more educated, more educated about the different offerings. And uh, so far we're, we're happy with, with the decision that we made. And uh, you know, there is a lot more opportunity with founders. I mean, you, you know, you, you stay, you grow a company and then you can go and do something else and, right. and, and and start another company. And, you know, I have a lot of ideas for the future. So um, I am very proud of what we built a fund to action, but, uh, eventually you know uh, uh you know you just don't know the future how it's gonna it's gonna look like for anything and there's just a lot of technology out there that can be can, needs to be adjusted that we can buy that we can attach to front to action or we can we can pivot certain things so the core front to action remains exactly the same as it was envisioned in 2012 nothing has changed it's all a scaling volume but in terms of the first um visualization that we did with Patrick from the floor at seventeen seventy six in two thousand thirteen and uh, uh the 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 ideas the napkin that i that I, that I drew in two thousand and twelve is exactly the same. We have not even changed the UI in the platform.
1: Wow, that's pretty phenomenal. It has to feel pretty good <laughs> you know like. It's quite the journey um, over the last eight years, and, and growing it. And it sounds like it's on a good trajectory now, and to kind of continue to, to grow and with the right funds. And, and obviously, you guys still on board. Um, can you share, like, you shared a little bit there? We're almost out of time here, but I wanted to find out what's like because we are. You know, there are a lot of other startups. That's one thing. You know, we talked about private equity. And that's something people may not know a lot about. So it was interesting, to kind of dive deeper there. Is there anything else that you've learned from your startup journey that's um, maybe you wish you would have known um, prior to getting into it?
2: I think the experience of every person is different, and I, you know, I was always I always believe in merit. So I always thought since I was very young, uh, my my father was very much about you work hard; it will pay off. So I always kind of had my career based on that, and every every career, every job I had, people I always had a good boss that that promoted me because they thought I was the first one coming in, the last one leaving. Like, you know, all of all of those things that, that we we'll learn about about working hard and merit. But I did learn in technologies a little bit different. Uh, I think that venture capitalists and general investors, they already have an idea about what works, the formula that works for them. And so we constantly have to educate them about different ways to do things. Um, I don't think uh, they that is a general uh, in the country understanding of the contributions uh, of people to technology. I, I used to hear all the time on the the, the amount of money given to women uh, is very very small, and only two percent of of women get venture capital, and Hispanic women is like zero zero point one, and I did. So I, I was I was always, you know, I always heard that. And then, you know, about a month ago during Hispanic Heritage Month, I put a question on LinkedIn and I asked, do you know any tech Latino founder? I want to do a list. And people started sending me and the, the, the conversation became awesome.
1: That's great. So yeah. I <laughs> was
2: able to, I got a list. I got lists list from, Har- from Harlem Capital, from Springboard, everywhere. Everybody sent me a list. And I compare all of those lists and I put together a list. It took me like three weeks and I was just really obsessed with it. And I found 275 um, tech founders that are Latino founders. And that they have raised 5.2 billion of what we know with active companies right now, uh, 5.2 billion dollars. And I found, you know, uh, 19 so far because I'm still doing that list of people that have exited companies that are, te- that are tech uh, Latino leaders, that yep. they, they exit them for about close to $6, mil- $6 billion. And so oh. these numbers do not match the narrative about oh. Latinos are not getting money. What happens is that I think a lot of women, the disabled, LGBTQ, people of color, etc., they're hidden behind white founders. Not because it's, uh, it's a... Um, you know, something anybody's doing uh, deliberately, it's just because the white founder generally is the one that has access to the investor and the investors feel more comfortable with the with the Y founder. So the Latino founder or the colour founder or the women founder, whatever, they are not really in the mix. But when you see these 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 technology companies with funding, most of them that it once I mean, maybe not most of them, but the ones that I look for technology founders, they had it was is Latino founders, it was a mix it was a diverse uh, leadership team and so yep. founding team. So I think uh, the, the biggest takeaway is that th- we are contributing to technology. Everyone is yep. in massive ways and that the U S continues to be the center of innovation in the world. Uh, and everybody looks at the U S as that, and we should feel very proud of that and not a, uh, and the job doesn't end today. We continue. We have to validate our work every single day. Not because, you know, great things happen to us, we can kind of, you know, live in that or glorify that. No, the work is every single day. If and, and if you have had a level of success, your job is to recognize the job of others. So my job now, you know, if if I move on, I'll do something else. But it's also to recognize. The, the work of all of those funders that I found and many others of any race of any background because you, we should be very, very proud of the work that we're doing and the resources that we're getting because I'm not saying we don't need more, which we do, but in the process of educating investors, we should also remind them they are funding people of color. They just might not know them.
1: Help change the narrative. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that detail. And we'd love to to share that as well. So once you get that report together, let us know how we can help get the word out because you aren't alone. You've been, you've done an amazing job here. It's just, um, I think that there needs to be more amplification of the work that's being done. And, and obviously more of a, you know, more help being sent towards, uh, you know, Latino or, or women of of any color, you know, as well as not just women, men of color as well. So that's what we're all all about here at start of the year. So I think that's a good way to wrap it. We've got, um, some great companies here this week and there's, um, you know, they're all you know, very diverse backgrounds from all over the country as well. So thank you for that tip. And thank you for sharing all of your, your insights here. Um, if people want to get in touch with you uh, to, to connect in, in some way, where's the best way to go or what's the best way for you?
2: LinkedIn, Ximena Hartsock, H-A-R-T-S-O-C-K, Twitter, LinkedIn, Medium. The three are the same, Jimena Harsok and I write in Medium a lot about what we talk about uh, uh, the new citizen and uh, LinkedIn, I am there chatting. So right. yeah, please, please, please. If anybody knows, knows of, 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 of anything that we should be highlighting, let's do it.
1: Thank you, Jimena. That was an amazing conversation. It's always great to hear about entrepreneurs who are working on products that serve the greater good. And wish you the best of luck with your new endeavor as well. Can't wait to hear more about it. Well, that's this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it and you learned something new. And uh, thanks again for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to our show pretty much wherever your you know, podcasts are are offered or distributed, as well as you can review it as well and let us know your feedback. We'd love to incorporate some of that feedback into our, our show if we could and appreciate all those that, that share their ideas. And remember, if you are have a startup idea and you want to get it started, you want to get it started today. Today is the best day to start up, not tomorrow, not the next day, because you can you can always iterate. So it doesn't have to be perfect today. Just get it started, get it moving, and, and build some momentum. Until next week, I'm Frank Gruber signing off. Stay safe and be well out there. And thank you again for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe, and we'll be back with another episode soon.